0: Looking principally at verse 18, though we will be scattering into the passage around it tonight, and in the 18 of First Chronicles 12, we read, Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thy son of Jesse. Peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee then David received them and made them captains of the band. In the chapter that substantially we've read here tonight, First Chronicles, and the chapter 12, we have David, and he's standing as a type. Very demonstrably, he is a picture of someone, and that picture is, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our rightful and our only King. And, of course, he is recognized in Scripture as being King David's greater son. David would have been appointed by God. He was anointed as well on his commandment by the hand of Samuel. Whenever Saul had slumped and fallen and gone and consulted with the witch at Endor and did all kinds of things that were not opportune, were not in obedience to God, then he was replaced. And God had his man in the form of David. Of course, at the time, Saul opposed it, held out, held on to the throne until he was taken uh, forcibly off that very throne. David then replaced him, as was God's own intention and appointment. In terms of David being a picture of Christ, well, Christ is our rightful king. We have no king but him. Around, of course, the cross, we have the baying mob crying out for the blood of Christ. And what do they say at that time? We have no king but Caesar. How foolish they were. We have no king but Christ. And so, in Philippians 2 and to verse 9, we're told that God has given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. And every tongue should confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, while he is the rightful King, you wouldn't imagine that if you took soundings from our community, our society, societies all around the world, globally today, because he is rejected by the majority. And of course, the Word of God tells us that will be the case as well. But divotir though Saul didn't want him ever replacing him in the throne, David had a loyal band of men. And as we worked our way down through the chapter, we find there are men coming from this quarter and that quarter, and then they're coming in their thousands and tens of thousands, and in the case, 120,000 of a number of tribes combined. And he had a colossal following when ultimately he is crowned as king in the city of Hebron. But we have a number of men whose names are mentioned. Their characteristics are highlighted as well in a previous chapter, some in this chapter as well. And these men who swore allegiance to David as their king. And that's what we have in verse 18, is it not? When the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said… Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thy son of Jesse, peace. Peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers, for thy God helpeth thee. Here he comes, and he is saying, I am swearing total allegiance to you, David. I want to be in your ranks. I want to serve under you. I will be loyal to you, and I'm pledging that loyalty today. What are the chief characteristics of a man such as Amasai? And in the spiritual realm, swearing allegiance to Christ, what are the chief characteristics that we should be exhibiting in our daily lives? Well, we have the answer to that question right here. We think, first of all, of these men and their source. These men and their source. And as we'll have noted from verse 24, principally through to 37… We have a description of these men, and they're coming from all over Israel. This side of Jordan, the other side of Jordan, from all the tribes, and they are swearing allegiance unto David as their king. Yes, our King, Jesus Christ, is rejected by the majority of people in the world today. Many in Belfast, we know only too well, have turned their backs upon him want nothing to do with Him. But the Holy Spirit, despite all of that opposition, He continues to call out a people to the name of Jesus Christ, to His banner and His standard, swearing loyalty to Him. He calls these people out from every single part of the globe. Jesus pledged, I will build my church. And that church is not just built in a little location confined to, for example, Jerusalem. Yes, the message begins there. In the book of Acts, it spreads. Into Samaria, it spreads through Samaria onto the outermost part of the earth, having visited all of Judea after Jerusalem as well. And so it is the Lord's purpose that His Word spreads out fans around this world, and people are called out for His name. He makes that plain in Acts 15, verse 14 to 16, how the Word should be spread out. Again, in Luke 19 and the verse 12, the same thought is apparent. And just as the loyal subjects of David came to his side, from all parts of the country. And they did it day by day by day. These men came. So the Holy Spirit is doing the very same thing. In the Acts of the Apostles, we read about the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Those people continued daily as well, Acts 2 and verse 47, in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. And surely the challenge is the vital thing today, that we should be part of this great company, the company of called out one's born again by the Spirit of God, First 1 Peter 1.23, redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, First Peter 1 and the verse 19, recognizing as we must Jesus Christ to be our only Savior and lawful King, the source, as far as these men were concerned. Then think of their separation, because that's noted here as well their separation. Look at verse 8 in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, and of the Gadites, they separated themselves unto David, into the hold, to the wilderness, men of might and men of war, fit for the battle, that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and were swift as the roes upon the mountains. Separated men, Weakness comes, of course, when the world is brought on board again. And so, in 2 Timothy 2 and 4, we're told as good soldiers to endure hardness as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. Think of 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 17, Hebrews 13 and 13, we're to go forth unto Him, Jesus Christ, without the camp bearing His reproach. We are to be a separated people from the world. And of course, it's an absolute blight when you can't discern between the children of light and the children of darkness. And when a child of light is trying deliberately to quench their light and reduce the intensity of their light, and not to stand out from the world around them and to blend in and merge with them, and then they get caught up. And our Lord said, if the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. David is looking here for particular men, men of quality, And they were, as we see here with the example in verse 8, men from the Gadites. They were selected men. They were separated men. So, those are two features. Their source, their separation. There's a lot of discussion in the chapter about their skill. And you'll have noted that all the way through. In, for example, right at the start of the chapter, verse 2, they were armed with bows and could use both the right hand and the left in hurling stones and shooting arrows out of a boom, even of Saul's brethren of Benjamin. And then, of course, we have in the middle of verse 8, what we have just read. They were men of might. They were men of war, fit for the battle that could handle shield and buckler, whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as a rose upon the mountains. Not only that, look down at verse 38. All these men of war that could keep rank, came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest, all some of Israel, were of one heart to make David king. What's being emphasized here is, in the terms of the spiritual application, being a child of God is a task for a soldier. It's not an easy task. That's because our enemy, the devil, is powerful. The conflict that he stirs up, that we're engaged in, and that we have no respite from, that conflict is demanding. And so, we're told, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, We're against this ruler of wickedness, and the ones who are the prince of the power of the air, they're up there in the high places, and we engaging in battle with them, we are convinced straight away we're up against someone who is powerful, who can marshal forces that are destructive. And we need, every single day, we need the whole armor of God. And it's a foolish Christian, leaves the house without proper equipment. So, there's training here. That's indicated here by those that were quite adept in slinging stones, in using shields, in throwing spears, in having swords in their hands. All of those kind of men came to David. That needed extensive training, this kind of skill is not automatic. And if we're to be effective for Jesus Christ, we need to put in the manners in spiritual training. We need to use the equipment that He gives us. And of course, in Ephesians 6 verse 13 to 17, that equipment is mentioned, and it is not mentioned without connection with God the Holy Spirit. To be effective, This must be worn in the power of the Spirit. What are our two chief items of weaponry? The Word, that two-edged sword of Hebrews 4 and 12. Prayer, the prayer of faith, saving the sick, the Lord raising them up. James 5, verse 15, 17, 18, that's our chief weaponry, and that's where we need to be skillful. So, three of the features have been noticed here. Their source, their separation, their skill, their selflessness, their selflessness. Where David was going was not over common and regular terrain. He was going to be competing in very difficult arenas. In verse 15, we have one example of that. These are they… That went over Jordan in the first month, when it had overflown all his banks. And they put to flight them of the valleys, both toward the east and toward the west. That's a costly enterprise. I know that Jordan isn't exactly the largest, most surging river that you'll find on the face of earth maybe one of the smaller ones. But still, in flood tide, across the flood plain of the Jordan, it's going to be a mighty torrent coming down. And here are men, and the point that's being made is simply this, that they were going to, in obedience to David, they were going to forge ahead, no matter what the cost was going to be. And even if it should cost them their lives, they were willing to, to do it. I think of the chorus, I'll go with him, with him all the way. And if I and you are going to do that, we need grit like these men, and we need backbone like these men as well. We need, when all the efforts of the devil have been marshaled against us, we need people who are going to stand up such as we sang about in our opening hymn tonight of the, the Daniel type. Daniel 6 and 10. The decree had been signed. Daniel knew full well of the existence of that writing against all of those who would do what he was going to do pray to his God. But he determined that I will not be deflected from what I knew to be right. I will not change my behavior because the world is telling me I must do this or that. Like those New Testament apostles, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you or unto God, judge ye. But we cannot do what we have seen and speak of what we have seen and heard. Dare to be a Daniel. We need to be as well of the Barnabas and the Paul type, and we read about their resolution and fortitude in Acts 15 and verse 26. It's almost embarrassing to talk about hardness in our Western world. Yes, our society is collapsing and sinking fast in sin, but in terms of, oh, we are having it so tough to be a child of God, well, we can't really say that. But if we were in Algeria today, where 1% of the population is nominally at least, I don't know about the actual number, but nominally Christian, and over recent years, virtually all of the churches have been closed down and burned. If we were in Pakistan, and I saw a challenge on the internet just today where the question was, do we not care about the Christians in Pakistan who are being slaughtered, their churches burned? And we can sit easy in our leaves. China, India, many other venues in the world where persecution is rife. Must I be carried to the skies, on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize, and sealed through bloody seas? The selflessness of these men, and who can tell? But down the line, that's what we will have to display. May God make us ready. When it happens, these men and their source, and their separation, and their skill, their selflessness, a fifth feature here, their strength, these men and their strength. David knew to accomplish the task that God had given him. These were the kind of men he needed. In verse 8, for example… And of the Gadites, separated, they separated themselves unto David, into the hole, to the wilderness. How are they described? Men of might, and men of war fit for the battle. Men of might, men of war fit for the battle. Verse 21, look at that. And they helped David against the band of the rovers, for... They were all mighty men of valor and were captains in the host, men of night and of valor. They had strength. And this wasn't ordinary strength. This was actually supernatural strength. And what they did was, whenever they went out to war, they illustrated so many times over that one with God is a majority, a point and unsealed by Deuteronomy 32 in verse 30. David is an example. One sling, one stone, but... Here was the determining factor, plus God. And down goes the giant Goliath, 1 Samuel 17 and 50. Gideon. Whittle it down. No, take it down further until there's virtually nobody left. Until in comparison with the enemy... You were absolutely nobody. No general, no expert in warfare would read your chances above nil. Oh, but add into the equation God, and it all changes, as it did in Judges 7 and 22. Peter, who had fled in his mind, from the challenge at the fire when Christ is on trial. But you're with him, were you not? But you talk like him. We know who you are. And he cries out, terrified. I've never had anything to do with him. But in Acts 2 and 14 and Acts 2 and 41, Peter plus God. That made all the difference. And he stands up no matter what the crowd, that baying crowd that only a few days previously had crucified the Lord of glory. And he preaches so directly to them. And he calls them the sinners guilty of that heinous crime. And he doesn't back down and he doesn't sugarcoat and he doesn't take a topic that they would like to hear. He dilates on all the material he knew would cause them to, in ordinary circumstances, gnash with their teeth and rush on him as they did later to Stephen. Peter plus God. This is where the supernatural strength comes from. And if you look at verse 18… What was the key motivator? The first line, Then the Spirit came upon Amasai, who was chief of the captains, and he said, and he wouldn't have said it only for, the Spirit of God coming upon him, Thine are we, David, and on thy side, thy son of Jesse, peace, peace be unto thee. And now this man, skilled in warfare admittedly, but now coming with the Spirit of God upon him, a man of supernatural strength. That's what Christ requires, Zechariah 4 and 6, not by anything other than my Spirit. Acts 1 and 8, they were to tarry until the Spirit of the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and then they were witnesses supernatural strength. So, men and their source and separation and skill and selflessness, strength, steadfastness. Steadfastness, we're looking at verse 16 through 18 for this one, because we have men that are loyal to the end. There came of the children of Benjamin and Judah to the hold on to David, and David went out to meet them, and answered and said unto them, if ye become peaceably unto me to help me, mine heart shall be Knit unto you. But if ye become to betray me to mine enemies, saying there is no wrong in mine hands, the God of our fathers look thereon and rebuke it. And then we have the Spirit of God coming in Amosai, and he says that he is on his side, and the avowal was that he would always be there. Just like what we have in Matthew 11 and 6. We have these men of Benjamin, men of Judah, and they're saying, we are throwing our lot in with you, and we are not, despite all of the circumstances, going to doubt. We're not going to fear. We're going to live peaceably as much as that's possible, but we're certainly going to be at peace among ourselves, and we will stand shoulder to shoulder, man to man, in loyalty and in steadfastness, and whatever the circumstances, we are people who are going to stay loyal to our King. Thine are we, and on thy side. In other words, David, you can count on us. We'll be there when you need us. You'll not be looking around and trying to see where we've gone to. We'll be right with you. We're on your side. Final feature these men in resource, separation, skill, selflessness, strength, steadfastness, their supremacy. Maybe not exactly the best word, but the best S I could come up with within the time frame. Uh, terms of supremacy, what do we mean by this? Well, these are men. And they have one overriding, supreme desire. Something governs them, has captivated their heart and mind. And if you're looking for that, you'll find it in verse 23. And these are the numbers of the bands that were ready, armed to the war, came to David to Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. Their desire, what was it? to make David king. That, again, is emphasized in verse 31. And off the half-tribe of Manasseh, 18,000, which were expressed by name to come and make David king. And then verse 38, all these men of war that could keep rank came with a perfect heart to Hebron to make David king over all Israel, and all the rest also of Israel, were of one heart to make David king. So, it's evident in the passage. These are men bound together by one burning desire, the mission to make David king. That's what we're going to do. We're going to enthrone him. We're going to crown him. We're going to pledge loyalty to Him. And I wonder, in the light of our coming King, could the words of 1 Chronicles 12, 18 be found in our mouths, Thine are we, Jesus, and on thy side, peace, peace be unto thee, and peace be to thine helpers. We are binding ourselves together in peace With one aim and at peace among ourselves, we'll stand in the battle and we'll go to war tomorrow if that's what the situation requires. And we'll not fold and we'll not fall and we'll not run and we'll not betray you. We're going to stand by you. Thine are we and on thy side. That's the challenge. The little I can, let me do, because I can, if I but try, when, as with Amosai, the Spirit comes upon us. Let's bow in prayer.